when the howls of the evening find you, and the skeletons in your closet begin to shift and change, you'll know it's time for the Pike Horror Show. Hello, my name is Richard, and welcome to the Pike Horror Show. The only show that is actually three other shows stacked up on each other's shoulders in a trench coat. This week we're going to be talking about the iconic and innovative horror franchise A Nightmare on Elm Street. And while the subject matter on this episode might not seem that different, personally my approach on researching this episode was completely different. Now specifically what I mean by that is, in the past two days I have watched every Nightmare on Elm Street movie ever made. Okay, that might be a little dramatic, but what I mean by that is I've seen every movie in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. However, in addition to those nine movies, I also watched two full documentaries about A Nightmare on Elm Street. The reason I clarified is because I've seen all the movies in the franchise and two of the documentaries, but I'm sure there are A Nightmare on Elm Street related movies out there that I haven't seen. But saying I've seen every Nightmare on Elm Street movie has a little bit more of a hook to it. The movies in the actual franchise are A Nightmare on Elm Street, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge, A Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors, A Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master, A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child, Freddy's Dead, The Final Nightmare, Wes Craven's New Nightmare, Freddy vs. Jason, and A Nightmare on Elm Street, the 2010 remake. The documentaries I watched were Never Sleep Again, which is behind the scenes of all the movies excluding the remake, and Scream Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street, which is about the life of Mark Patton after he starred as the first male Scream Queen in A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge. I mention the documentaries because they are truly fascinating. Never Sleep Again does a deep dive into the production, the characters, how Freddy became an icon. While Scream Queen is more about gay representation in the 80s and horror movies, and more specifically about Mark Patton and the movie's effect on him. Not to mention, in the Shudder original series, Behind the Monsters, there's a great episode about Freddy Krueger that talks about his development and how he became what you see on screen. And while Never Sleep Again, Scream Queen, and that episode of Behind the Monsters are super interesting, they don't have a lot to do with the actual horror of the franchise. What I mean by this is I'm going to be talking mostly about the movies, but Freddy Krueger and A Nightmare on Elm Street, they are icons. They are culturally significant. I just feel like it would do the franchise a bit of a disservice to just talk about the movies because it's so much more than that. When I first conceptualized this episode, I planned on only talking about the first three A Nightmare on Elm Street movies. So I watched the first three as kind of a refresher, but then I just kept going. And then when the movies were done, I just kept going with the documentaries. So if I tried to talk about absolutely everything without any sort of tiptoeing or, or hyper-focus, I'd have to start a whole new show just about A Nightmare on Elm Street. Long-winded intro aside, I'm just going to be talking about the movies, although I acknowledge they are culturally significant. And I'll try not to give everything away or do a play-by-play -play of each movie, but just know there are going to be spoilers. But now that I said that, let's get started. And what better place to start than A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Master? Just kidding, that'd be stupid. The original, 1984, A Nightmare on Elm Street, written and directed by Wes Craven. When I first sat down to rewatch this movie, I had already kind of dismissed it. Maybe it was forgetfulness or years of separation, but I kind of figured I'd have to muscle through the series. But very shortly into the first movie, I was sucked in. The movie doesn't waste any time, it starts you right in a dream sequence. It's relatively short, but you find the character Tina kind of wandering through a boiler room setting. It's a lot of pipes and steam and tubing and nothing really makes sense and nothing really has context. And this whole movie has an amazing soundtrack with these synths and these haunting melodies. Even before you know you're watching someone experience a dream, you know something's not quite right. And that's something you'll find all throughout the series. A Nightmare on Elm Street has the ability to set up 
anything and you sort of don't need as much context because you understand it's a dream so in the first couple of minutes you don't really know what's going on you don't really understand but then when you realize it's a dream it all kind of makes sense or at least makes sense that you don't know. It makes sense that it doesn't make sense. If you're completely unfamiliar with The Nightmare on Elm Street, essentially the premise is a man named Freddy Krueger was burned alive and now he torments teenagers in their dreams. There's this famous line that has been parodied that sort of stretches across the entire franchise and it's if you die in the dream, you die for real. Basically, Freddy is trying to get you and if he does get you, you die. I assume most people have at least seen Freddy Krueger, but essentially his look is a red and green sweater, a fedora, and then a glove with blades on the fingers. Also, his skin is severely burned and damaged, which is part of his backstory. So he looks pretty unsettling, but at the same time he has this raspy voice and even his silhouette is haunting. So in the first movie, he's starting to present himself in these kids' dreams, and they all think it's it's unrelated. You first see him through the character Tina's dream sequence, but then with just like one sentence, you learn later that... Nancy has also been seeing him. They sort of gloss over it because, of course, you don't think it's anything serious. You just assume it's a coincidence. Then as the movie goes on, you learn that other kids in the group are having very similar dreams with Freddy Krueger, but they don't know it's a connection. They don't want to make a big deal about it. Not to mention, in the dreams, he's always accompanied by this nursery rhyme. Now, the nursery rhyme is used all throughout the franchise, but it's usually used to show... I know what you're talking about. I know that it's all connected. People will be starting the nursery rhyme and then other people will finish it and they realize it's inexplicable that the other person knows it. The rhyme itself is pretty unsettling all on its own and it usually precedes Freddy. So they'll hear it before they even know who Freddy is. I apologize for the lack of musicality, but the rhyme itself is 1-2, Freddy's coming for you, 3-4, better lock your door, 5-6, grab your crucifix, 7-8, gotta stay up late, 9, 10, never sleep again. So if you've been having nightmares all week, and then in one of your nightmares you hear this song, it includes A, Freddy, so it personifies the nightmare, and also says never sleep again. Pretty scary stuff for a guy in a green and red sweater. Also, Freddy is visiting these kids in their dreams, so he's in their heads with their fears and making these full dreamscapes to torment them in. Which I personally think is such a great setup because that really takes away the need for reality. If you say, oh, that doesn't really make any sense... It doesn't need to, it's a dream. Nothing in dreams really makes sense. So because of that, the creators have a little more freedom. No matter what Freddy does, it can casually be explained away with, oh, it's a dream. As opposed to franchises that, while mystical, are set in the real world. What comes to mind is Friday the 13th and how Jason dies, but he comes back to life because lightning struck his grave, which doesn't really make sense, there's a lot of rooms to poke holes in it. But that's not something Freddy has to deal with. Or like how in Halloween, Michael Myers just keeps going and it doesn't really make sense that he keeps going. Personally, I like that. It's something that adds to the horror and makes Michael a little more intimidating, but that's something Freddy doesn't even have to worry about. A Nightmare on Elm Street has no limits, and what's great is the creators use the space. Especially as the franchise goes on, it gets wild, it gets out there, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. The first Nightmare on Elm Street has a great twist where you think the main character is Tina, and that's the one you're kind of following, but then she gets killed off. It's very sudden, it's unexpected, and it's pretty gory. And because the first movie used practical effects for everything, the gore sticks with you a little bit more. Especially in sequences that are a little less slasher film and a little more body horror. Two parts from the first movie that specifically stand out for me is when Freddy cuts his fingers off and the other one where he cuts his chest open and maggots come out. The kills that are buckets of blood are certainly unsettling, but the body horror stuff makes you wince in a different way. Anyway, after Tina's death, the focus is moved over to Nancy Thompson. 
She was already in the film at this point, but you weren't really focusing on her. From there, you meet her family, sort of figure out that dynamic. Also, her friend group is starting to thin out, so all she really has is her mom, her dad, and her boyfriend, Johnny Depp. His name is Glenn, but we're going to call him Johnny Depp. Anyway, I remember this movie being really cheesy and, and loaded with jokes, but the first one really really isn't. There certainly are jokes, and it is a little bit cheesy, but I think the cheesiness comes from the fact it's from the 80s, and the jokes come from the fact that Freddy Krueger enjoys the pain he's inflicting on these kids. It's definitely not the perfect movie, I think that wouldn't be fair to say, but there are parts of this movie that are scary and thrilling in a way I didn't expect and in a way I didn't remember. Specifically, there's this dream sequence that Nancy has when she falls asleep in class that I think is just great. Also, quick side note, her teacher is played by Lynn Shea, who you might know from Grudge, Insidious, Ouija, and every movie ever made. Anyway, Nancy sees Tina's body in a body bag, and it's calling to her, and then it slams into the ground and gets dragged away by an invisible force. The person reading aloud in class suddenly gets very quiet and, and raspy. Nancy chases after a friend in the body bag, but plows over a hall monitor. Nancy kind of keeps moving, but the hall monitor calls to her, and when Nancy turns back, the monitor has, you know, the sweater, but also has Freddy's claw and is talking in Freddy's voice. Then eventually she finds herself in a boiler room and is being pursued by Freddy and when she hits a dead end she, she presses her arm on a hot pipe and then wakes up in the real world. I think it's a relatively short sequence but it is such a powerful couple of minutes. Not to mention it does a great job of setting up the rules. You know, you're in a dream space, Freddy's in control, nothing really makes sense but when she burns her arm on the pipe she has a burn in real life when she wakes up. It was already implied that that's how it worked through Tina's dream sequences, but through Nancy's, she was able to put it together. Then later on, it goes a little bit further, and she's actually able to take Freddy's hat off of him in the dream and then bring it back into the real world. I'm not going to give away the whole movie, even though I've already spoiled a good amount of it, but I really do think A Nightmare on Elm Street is a solid watch, even now, almost 40 years later. But how it holds up is just kind of a bonus because it was a hit even back in the 80s. So of course the studio wanted to make a sequel and they released a sequel just a year later. And although A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge was a financial success, it had a lot of issues. Issues might not even be the right word, but it had a lot of changes. While the first A Nightmare on Elm Street was written and directed by Wes Craven, A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 was neither written nor directed by him. In fact, Nightmare 2's director Jack Shalter has gone on record saying he didn't like the first one. Not to mention the hero from the first one, Nancy, isn't in the second one at all. The connection is the main character of the second movie moves into the house that Nancy lives in in the first movie. So of course it takes place in Springwood and Freddy Krueger is there. But if you look at the movies side by side, the first one comes off as sort of a revenge haunting movie where the second one is sort of a possession movie. Without giving the entire movie away, Freddy is trying to use Jesse's body to kill again. He sort of introduces this concept by saying Jesse has the body and he has the brains. It's accompanied by this part where he rips his head open and shows his brains in case Jesse couldn't have figured it out. And while Freddy definitely shows up in Jesse's dreams from time to time, as you watch the movie you realize that the rules set up in the first movie aren't really applying. Like, for example, Jesse and his family had nothing to do with Freddy's origin, so it doesn't make sense for him to get revenge on them. Like, I understand he's trying to possess Jesse's body in order to kill again, but isn't killing kids in their dreams already pretty effective? And you realize that Freddy will kill people he has no connection to, so you realize that the revenge aspect of his character is just sort of tossed out. And as the movie goes on, he starts to affect things in the real world when nobody's asleep. And in no way am I saying that a burned man with a claw hand isn't scary or isn't intimidating, but why bother setting up a backstory and a personality and all of these rules if you're not going to use any of it? 
And every movie in the franchise kind of takes liberties with Freddy and his character, but 2 stands out because it's the only one that follows those rules. Like, on its own, I think it's a relatively interesting and a relatively scary horror movie, but Wes Craven came back with the story and screenplay for A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 Dream Warriors. Dream Warriors went back to the original and kept all of those elements that they worked so hard to set up, which only made the second one stand out more. Freddy's Revenge is definitely weird and out there and doesn't follow the original, but the entire franchise just threw it away. It was already kind of a black sheep, but with the seven sequels just pretending it didn't exist, it didn't stand a chance. Now, the effects are pretty great, and it starts to lean into the body horror side of the first one, but I don't think that's enough to save it from the plot or the story or to save it from itself. There are parts of the movie that are interesting or fun to watch or even good, but the last 30 minutes of the movie, I think, are just bad. This is, of course, just my opinion on the matter. But it starts having these really bizarre scenes where Freddy is in the real world chasing kids at a pool party. And even though the movie was doing its own thing, it ended in a really cheesy, boring way. I'm not going to do a play-by-play -play or go into too much detail, but essentially they're able to beat the ghost of a murderer who's possessed a body because the main character's friend loves him so much. And while later entries in the series are known and beloved for their sort of cheesiness, that's just straight up fucking Hallmark. I think A Nightmare on Elm Street 2 Freddy's Revenge was a bold and dramatic turn in the series, but I don't think it was for the best. And whether it was for the best or for the worst, when A Nightmare on Elm Street 3 came out it didn't even matter. However, since its release it has gotten sort of a cult following. It's described as having a lot of gay references and gay subtext as well as having the first male quote-unquote scream queen. I'm definitely not trying to say that's not important or that's not revolutionary. I just didn't think it was a very good sequel, but that's just me. If you like it and you get enjoyment out of it, that's awesome. Good and bad don't mean anything if you enjoy yourself. And once again, I'd like to plug Scream Queen My Nightmare on Elm Street. It's a documentary about a Nightmare on Elm Street 2's star, Mark Patton, who was a gay actor in a gay movie in the 80s. It's not very spooky, but it is pretty interesting. Anyway, it seems I was able to watch all of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, but I was only able to talk about two of them in this episode, which is one less than the minimum I was trying to do. But all that means is there are going to be more Nightmare on Elm Street themed episodes in the future, so I hope you all are ready for Freddy. And to hear those episodes when they come out, I guess you're going to have to subscribe. Or even if you don't care about our Nightmare on Elm Street, you could just subscribe anyway. And if you liked what you heard, be sure to check out older episodes. We talk about everything here. Movies, books, video games, anything vaguely spooky. Vampires, skeletons, your mama, anything. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. My name is Richard, and this has been the Pike Horror Show. <laughs>